Welcome once again to the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dolan Thomas, and today we're going to talk about the fundamental attribution error. And this is, uh, we've touched on this before, but this is one of those core, like, well, fundamental um, biases that so much of human behavior hinges on. It's on the level of, like, the confirmation bias or the the framing effect. It's huge, it's destructive, it's really hard to um, untangle. Um, but just to give you, you know, kind of a quick, uh, you know, rundown of it, I think usually the example we've used maybe before when talking about this is if you are, um, you, you, you see somebody like run a red light, um, and your immediate assumption is, oh, you know, what a jerk, or what a selfish person, or what a dangerous driver, or whatever, you're assuming that the reason they did the thing is because of something about them personally, right? What you don't assume, what you don't think immediately is, oh, maybe they're rushing to the hospital or maybe they're late for work or some other sort of, you know, circumstantial, right, um, uh, situation where you'd do the same thing if you were in their shoes. Um, and so that's, you know, in a nutshell, the fundamental attribution error. It's very similar or kind of a vein of the... Uh, action observer bias we kind of talked about at the beginning of the season this one is really just more focused on not so much how you view yourself so much as like what you're assuming about the other person it's really just other focused um and um and you can sort of think about this in you know different situations like if you see a homeless person on the street like what is your assumption is it their fault right do you kind of implicitly assume there's something about their character their moral character that has landed them in the situation right or if you know that someone's a drug addict right do you assume that there's some moral weakness right that has led them to this and nothing circumstantial right whether it's you know um you know systemic you know poverty and inequality or or even just mental illness like that something um beyond their control has led to this or no they have chosen in one form or another to become an addict to become homeless right that you know, do you believe that poverty is a choice, right? Like that is sort of one of those fundamental questions. And the fundamental attribution error nudges us in the direction of, oh yeah, if they really tried, they wouldn't be poor. If they really had moral discipline, they wouldn't be an addict, right? Like that's kind of the whisper in the ear that the fundamental attribution error is. Um, And it prevents us from thinking about the systemic things that might lead to this. So, you know, fundamentally, it's just when it comes to others, we emphasize the internal over the external. And uh, Christina Bicieri in Scripts and Schemas, which uh, is a Coursera um, Social Norms, Social Change 2 course, um, described this, the quote here is, the tendency to believe that what people do reflects who they are. And I think that's a really great kind of summation of just our attitudes in life, right? Like that's kind of a fundamental attitude we walk into a lot of situations with is if we are going to try to understand people, we look at what they do and we say, okay, well, clearly that is a this kind of person, right? Um, And, you know, that can be difficult and can be very misleading. Um, And we'll get a little more into into that later. But, um, and I don't know, I I, I personally, I'm recording this on the day that, um, the day after the Kavanaugh hearings where... um, there's, you know, post-testimony um, around the accusations against him, and it's looking like he may be confirmed, or at the very least that this, like, literally I was just watching that they're going to um, maybe have more of an FBI investigation or not. The fundamental thing is it's one of those moments in human history where I kind of lose faith in America, in humanity, that, like, this is even an issue, that, like, we're, we're still entertaining the notion, you know? <laughs> Um, uh, that he's going to be on the Supreme Court, right? Uh, and 
the reason I bring this up in the context of the fundamental attribution error, um, uh, other than it literally just happened, is that like moments like this, I start to basically have a fundamental attribution error about America itself. Like I see these things happen. I see a rapist become the president, right? I see, you know, I see people who have done terrible things prosper. And my thought, right, is sort of initially to say, okay, well, this is because America is a terrible person, right? There's something fundamentally about America itself that's, it, it is immorally, it is more, it, it has moral failure in and of itself, right? There's no circumstances here. It's just a terrible person. How do you know? Look at all the terrible things it's done. And that's a very easy, you know, thing for me to say. And this is coming from someone who loves America, is very patriotic, right? Um, and it's what I struggle with because, you know, if you fall too far down that hole, you don't vote, <laughs> right? You don't actually try to make things better. Um, but that's like my personal struggle with the fundamental attribution error isn't so much looking at homeless people or drug addicts and trying to judge them. It's looking at America itself <laughs> and trying to judge America itself and just pretend it's a human that is just a terrible person. Um, and it's really easy to come to that conclusion if you look at a set of behaviors, right? And that's, you know, but that's exactly what the fundamental attribution error does. It doesn't look at circumstance when trying to do that calculus. Um, so that was a bit of a rant <laughs> that wasn't necessarily planning on going on, but I knew it was a possibility given the context of the day and literally what's going on in uh, American politics and, and the Supreme Court right now. So never let it be said that cognitive bias doesn't affect real-world things. Um, but uh, the, um, the other things that the, the other reason I kind of wanted to dig a little more on phenomenal attribution error, even though we've kind of touched on it before in other, in other forms, is uh, it gets even deeper than I thought. So uh, I didn't know that. Um, even if you know the circumstance, like let's say you make this judgment about somebody, but then you actually do find out the circumstance, oh yeah, they really were in a rush to get to the hospital or in a rush to, they were late for work or whatever, you probably still judge them a little. So there was an experiment where um, they had people read essays about Fidel Castro, and some were pro-Castro and some were anti-Castro. And they asked people, hey, do you think the person who wrote this really believes what they wrote, really believes that you know Castro is good or Castro is bad, whatever the position was? And people generally said yes. Uh, the person who wrote this pro-Castro piece really believes that Castro is a good guy. Um, then they revealed, hey, you know what? The person who wrote this, before they wrote it, we flipped a coin. And if it was heads, they wrote a pro-Castro piece. If it was tails, they wrote an anti-Castro piece. Like, that's the only reason they wrote this the way they did. We don't actually know how they felt. If you reveal that circumstance, right, that situation that led to that outcome, to that behavior... People still generally think, yeah, I still think they're pro-Castro. Yeah, I still think they're anti-Castro. Like, even the circumstance, even knowing the circumstance, right? I could read you an entire history of, you know, redlining and systemic, you know, poverty and, and race, and you'll still be like, yeah, but that homeless person probably just isn't very disciplined. You'll still come to that conclusion because that's how ingrained the, um, the fundamental attribution error is. It's kind of frightening, actually. Um, but... You know, that's in line, right, with a lot of the cognitive biases that we have um, studied um, uh, in this series is that even when you know about them, you still commit these errors. Um, and part of the reason, you know, again, this is very raw and very real right now, is one of the kind of engines of the fundamental attribution error is this thing called the just world hypothesis. And we'll get, we'll probably have an, a separate episode about this, but in a nutshell, the just world hypothesis is this idea that you know, whatever happens, whatever news you hear, 
you're going to, you know, assume that, well, we live in a just world. So whatever mental gymnastics I have to do to believe that everything is still all right, I'm going to believe. And as you might imagine, this leads to some terrible victim-blaming outcomes when you have things like someone is accused of sexual assault and they're about to become the, you know, uh, the next Supreme Court justice. Well, I'm going to assume something bad about the person making the accusation because it's easier for me to assume, no, only the right people get nominated and become Supreme Court justices. That's an easier pill for me to swallow than, oh, terrible people prosper, right? And horrible things happen to people who don't deserve it. So the narrative we form in our heads a lot of times is, let me do whatever mental gymnastics I have to to believe that this person, this victim, deserved what happened so they are no longer actually a victim. And part of the reason we do that is because it gives us more of a sense of control, right? If we can say this happens, this terrible thing happened because the person was either, the person it happened to was either stupid or evil in some way. Well, I know I'm not evil. I know I'm not stupid. So I know it'll never happen to me, right? It gives you a sense of control around your outcomes. Um, and going back to illusion of control, which we talked about earlier, that's false, right? That's demonstrably false. You don't have control over everything, but our minds really, 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 really need that sense. And so we have these kind of terrible outcomes in terms of what we can believe about people that really terrible things happen to. Um, and so you see this a lot in uh, narratives around officer-involved shootings, right? Um, for a long time, and still today, um, when you hear that a black person has been shot by a white officer, a lot of the narrative immediately starts to go to, okay, well, did that black person have a criminal record? That's one of the first questions that gets asked, right? It's not, well, did the officer have a record of um, police brutality? No, 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 that's not the question. What's the question is, the assumption we're going to try to confirm first is the black person deserved to get shot. And you'll see that happen again and again. Um, just as a side note, a great um, book about this, um, The Hate You Give, which is about to become a movie, which apparently is getting great reviews, which, yay. But um, I read recently, um, fantastic book, but it's about an officer-involved shooting, and they sort of explore that idea that that narrative, that's one of the key threads in the book, actually, is this notion of they immediately kind of jump to, okay, was the person who got shot wrong in some way? Did they deserve it, right? And if we can say that they deserved it, okay, we can put that to bed and not worry about, you know, criminal justice as a system having problems or racism uh, being inherent in the system as a problem, we can sort of say, oh, no, 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 everything's fine. Just world hypothesis was true. We can go to bed at night. Um, so, and the whole thing seems kind of set up to preserve this notion that we ourselves are awesome and better than everyone else and have more control than everyone else. And, you know, which again is demonstrably false, but it makes it really easy to get through the day, right? <laughs> to, to sort of think of yourself as safe, right? I think, and I think that's sort of the thing. I don't know that it's even necessarily about this sort of ego-driven kind of greed so much as just people at the end of the day just want to feel safe. They want to feel, they want certainty. That's another theme we've seen with all these cognitive biases is that they're all geared toward giving the mind certainty with as little effort as possible. Like, what's the least amount of effort I can put into feeling certain about something? And if it's, I have to believe that this person I've never met before is somehow evil, and that the person who did the thing, the evil thing to them, is good, because that'll, you know, that's just an easier narrative that makes me feel safer, because that means that the, the unjust are punished, um, and the just are rewarded, great, let's do that. Like, let's do everything we can to make that work, because the alternative is more effortful and leads to more uncertainty in life. Um, and we just, at all costs, want to avoid uncertainty. And sometimes that cost is other human beings. Um, 
so and another another so yeah that, that that's one piece is the certainty piece and the other piece is honestly the effort piece one of the other things uh people point to around the you know again that engine behind the fundamental attribution error is understanding circumstance as well as behavior is a lot of effort. Like, can I just understand the behavior, right? So if you see someone do something like, okay, I've taken in the information of what they've done. Let me just as quickly as possible tie that to something about them. If you ask me to then think about the circumstance, that's a lot of work. So even that's part of the reason even when you introduce the actual circumstance, it was a coin flip or whatever it was, the mind still would rather just go back to the simple explanation of, look, they're just evil. Can't we just call them evil and move on? Okay, thanks, right? Can't we just call them lazy and move on? So just as as depressing as it sounds, sheer laziness, or not even laziness, just it's so much effort to do that extra work of understanding the circumstance that our minds are sometimes just to give up and say, you know what, let's let's just assume that, that, that they're lazy. Um, and this, you know, not surprisingly means that you see a difference in individualistic cultures. And we've, again, this has been a theme this season, right? Like individualistic Western cultures where we really talk more and focus more on the individual and their agency, you know, tend to fall for this more. Collectivist cultures where it's more, really more about, hey, what can you do for the society? And what is your role in the society? And you think about circumstance. You think about context all the time. You're trained from birth to do that. You see less of the fundamental attribution error because it's, it's actually less effort. If you're trained in how to look at the context first and then look at the individual, it's less effort to do it. And again, it goes back to, well, the mind's going to pick what's going to take the least effort. So you're going to be less prone to the fundamental attribution error if it's actually easier to um, think about the context. So there's that. Um, but the reason, you know, one of the many reasons I think it's really important to think about this error and why I spend so much time on it, and this is an especially long episode, is that... Um, the the at the end, realistically like it's the fundamental attribution error as in mistake as in you're getting it wrong in the real world the context is usually the culprit the context is usually actually the more important thing to consider than necessarily the individual personality which is not to say that the individual personality doesn't matter i mean i'll be honest and again like i i bring it back to kavanaugh because it's literally happening as i record this but even if I were to try to extend the generosity of dismissing the fundamental attribution error when saying, okay, here is a person who may have done a terrible thing, and let me look at the circumstance around that rather than say, here's the thing he did, and let's assume like they are, you know, there's something, there's a personal character flaw there. Even if I take that into account, right, I can still talk about how that person reacts to that circumstance, right? And when I think about this, I keep coming back to these two possibilities. One, Kavanaugh is unjustly accused. And if that's the case, the way he's reacting to being unjustly accused is as a petulant child. And if that's how he reacts to stress, I don't want him as a Supreme Court justice, right? So even in the best possible scenario where he is, you know, um, being unjustly accused, his reaction to that circumstance makes, make, still makes me not want him on the bench, and then, of course, there's the alternative, where he is, in fact, justly accused, and he really did do it. All the more reason, obviously, to not want him on the bench. So either way, even if I try to look at this through a framing that tries to, dis, you know, 
eliminate or mitigate the fundamental attribution error, I still arrive at the conclusion that I don't want him on the bench. So I don't want uh, all of this to sort of be an excuse for bad behavior so much as a contextualizing for even if you try to look at something through the lens of a reaction to a circumstance and then do you still feel, hey, there's some kind of moral failing going on here. There's something just wrong with this situation. You know, I'm just saying that's if, if it passes, you know, if it fails both tests, <laughs> either the I'm jumping to a conclusion, you know, about their personality without thinking of the context or even when I look at the context, I'm still finding them lacking. Okay, that should be a pretty clear signal. Something, something's amiss. And again, I apologize for the rant, but I'm literally recording this as these events are ha- unfolding in real time. It's kind of crazy. Anyway, um, all of that to say that um, the uh, the environment is usually really, really, really important. And you know, uh, recently I've been you know doing some reading ab- about this. So there is an experiment, a very famous experiment where um, you put a rat in a cage and you give them the option of drinking just normal water or drinking water that has cocaine in it. And, you know, it's a pretty predictable outcome. The the rat will drink the water that has the cocaine and just keep drinking it and die, (laughs) right? Like it'll, 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 um, it'll value the, the rush that it's getting from the cocaine over just basic bottle, you know, eating and sleeping and doing all the things you need to stay alive, right? And it's sort of like, oh, that case closed. Addiction is this thing that completely takes over your body and, you know, makes you ignore all, all else. Somebody kind of did a meta experiment and said, hmm, tell me more about that rat. Well, it was in a cage, you say, and there were no other rats around? Huh. I don't know. In, in those circumstances, again, circumstance, in those circumstances, I'd probably, you know, cocaine drink myself to death too. So what would happen if I gave the rat kind of a rat paradise, right? And I put it in with other rats and the environment wasn't a cage, but a, uh, you know, terrarium situation where that had all of the things a rat loves, right? And it was super happy rat, rat fun place, but I will still give it all the cocaine water it can drink and all the normal water it can drink. Well, they did this and, you know, not surprisingly, or surprisingly, depending on your politics, um, the the rat didn't drink the cocaine water anymore because it was happy, right? Um, or at least that's the presumption, right? It didn't drink the cocaine water, I'm going to assume, because it, it was fulfilled all the other things in its life by its environment, right? And there's kind of a correlation here to, they were looking at, um, during Vietnam, there was a huge heroin addiction problem. American soldiers addicted to heroin. And when they came back, everyone assumed, okay, well, now we're going to have this, you know, population of heroin addicts to deal with. And yet when they came back, they adjusted and stopped taking heroin. And everyone was like, what's going on? And until they realized, oh, right, they're not in a, like, shitty hellhole of a situation anymore. <laughs> They're actually in, you know, by comparison anyway, a much better place. Um, and the, the need, right, for um, driving that addiction, right, kind of went away. And, and a lot of this is coming from, I'm going to um, link to in the show notes, um, uh, a book about addiction that I am blanking on the name of now, but I promise I'll put in the show notes. But basically, you know, sort of talking about these two competing theories of addiction, which are kind of wrong. One is more the fundamental attribution error, of, um, you know, uh, people are addicted to drugs because they have, you know, low moral standing. They have low moral fiber. They have no grit. They have no integrity. When things get tough, they just buckle and take drugs, right? Um, they have a moral failing. And the other kind of theory of addiction, and that's sort of the more conservative side and the one the more liberal side, it's this notion that, well, no, addiction is more about, it's just a chemical reaction, right? Like this chemical is so powerful, it takes over your body. It's like a zombie apocalypse, right? Like it, there you have, there's, there's no defense against it. The second that, you know, that the, the drug hits your body, it's just going to change you into something else. 
um, that needs the drug. And then the middle ground, which the evidence is starting to bear out, is actually if the environment is of a certain caliber, you're going to see more addiction. And if the environment is different, you are going to see less. So the, you know, the lever you want to pull there isn't morality, it isn't chemical, it's environment. Like, if you can nail the environment, so many other things follow from that. Um, and that's something I'm starting to really, you know, believe more and, like, think about more is this notion of maybe environment is actually one of those key levers in life that can lead to better outcomes. And the reason it's important to think about this is because of how, at least in America, how we do policy, right? A lot of our policy... How we do policy has to focus focuses on the individual and punishing or rewarding them for their moral failings or their moral virtues, right? It's a very puritanical approach to policy, to lawmaking, right? And I get it, and I want to see bad people punished, right? Like, that that makes a certain moral sense, but in the real world, in, in terms of what actually drives things like addiction and poverty and race relations, environment, it, it looks at least, like from everything I'm saying, is huge. It is absolutely huge. Um, so it's sort of like, would it make more sense to start to think about policy that affects the environments that we live in and that we interact in, rather than saying, I'm going to watch for you to do this one particular thing, and if you do it, I'm going to slap you. Um, so I don't know. A very big, sprawling episode, and I apologize for my rants. Um, it's a, Like I said, I'm... Uh, I, it's a very raw moment, obviously, um, and uh, and if it's raw for me, I can only imagine how raw it is for others who are far more uh, affected by this. But um, but it, it and I, I'll be honest, I struggled whether or not to even record an episode today. But I felt like maybe this is exactly the right moment to record this episode. So time will tell. And um, but uh, that uh, that's that. So. Um, we will do a, another podcast next week. And um, for the Cognitive Bias Podcast, I'm your host, David Dolan Thomas, and we will see you next time. 